Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. I think the older I've gotten, the more I appreciate the value of emotions, our emotional state. I've always appreciated the good emotions, right? The positive ones. Who doesn't want to be happy? Who doesn't want joy, right? Like, we love that stuff. We like, you know, surprise. Some of you don't like surprise, but most of us like surprise, especially like a good kind of surprise, right? Like, we, we appreciate that kind of thing. But I, as I've gotten older, I've started to appreciate the value of the emotions that we would think of as more negative, like anger. Um, I'm in touch with anger. Uh, I'm aware of it, and I've always known I have it. And, but I, I think as I've gotten older, I've appreciated the fact that anger has a purpose, and it can drive you to fight injustice, something that's happened to you or around you. And, so, um, and also anger can be covering up another emotion like fear. And so by getting angry, it sometimes brings you in touch with fear, and it helps you to address your fears, things like that. So I think that's a, a, a valuable emotion even though it's maybe not your favorite, right? Sadness. Sadness is important. Um, it's part of what makes us human is to connect and, and feel sadness. And it's one of those emotions we don't, we don't, we would say we don't love it. Like, oh, I don't, and usually when we see someone sad, we want them to stop it, right? Like, oh, you're sad. That's terrible. Stop being that. And so we say to people, don't be sad, which, as we all know, never works, right? But we say it anyway. And I think what happens there is we literally have mirror neurons that fire off in our brain. So when you're sad and crying, it fires off the sad and crying thing in my brain as well. So it's, it's a way that we kind of build community with one another is I see you sad and it makes me a little bit sad too. So when I tell you don't be sad, kind of what I'm saying is I don't want to feel this anymore. So why don't you quit that? So I don't have to feel it also, right? It's weird. Um, but there's one emotion I, I, uh, that I want to talk about this morning that I think we all feel, and this one's weird because we try to pretend in some ways, we try to pretend this emotion doesn't exist. And this is the emotion of guilt. We all feel guilt. We've all felt it. And I don't know exactly, they say emotions are felt in different parts of the body. I'm not exactly sure where guilt is felt. I think maybe it's kind of like very central. It's like somewhere right down here. You kind, of, you kind of feel guilt in your gut when it kicks up. Maybe it's, maybe it's in the shoulders. I don't know. But you, you feel it in your body that, you, that, hey, I'm guilty. And sometimes it's when you've been caught doing something you shouldn't do. Or, or a lot of times it's just when you know you messed up, when you know you've blown it, uh, you, you have that feeling of guilt. Uh, we, all cultures have it. Uh, in different times and in different ways about, about different kind of things. But I think guilt has value as well. Guilt can um, point out to us something that is wrong. Often it's something wrong that we've done and, and drive us to, to actually make things, make things right. Now, that's not exactly how our culture sees guilt. Um, I found an article uh, online that was talking about these are things you should never feel guilty about. And one of them, there's a list of them, like, oh, don't feel guilty about this. Like, it's trying to help us psychologically not feel so guilty, like, all the time or whatever. And this article was like, here's something you should never feel guilty about. You should never feel guilty about spending time and money on yourself. 
And I thought, that's really stupid. Like, surely we can all think of things that we have spent on ourselves that you probably should feel guilty about. Like, it's not all great. Like, like you're, you're, you should feel guilty about spending money on yourself when you owe somebody money or something. Like, there's some scenario out there where you just went a little selfish and you're spending on yourself, and, 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 there's, and yet there's articles out there that are like trying to get rid of all that guilt for you. you don't, don't, don't feel that way. Our culture tries to portray guilt as something that you should just do away with. Be happy. Don't be sad about that. Don't worry about all the haters that are trying to make you feel guilty. Don't get a part of any institution or group that's going to try to pour guilt on you. Like, that's the kind of stuff we say as a culture. But I think there's actually value in guilt, and we need to, now we need to deal with it, but there's value to it, and you don't want to move past it too quickly. You actually want to uh, feel it and then, and then actually address it. King David, who wrote the Psalms, we are in this series talking about the songs that Jesus sang. The Old Testament book of the Psalms would have been songs that Jesus probably knew by heart. And so we, we're looking at what are the what are the different emotions and different uh, life worldview expressed in the Psalms and, and how are those actually valuable for us today? And David writes seven Psalms that are basically uh, confession, uh, penitent, uh, he feels bad, he feels guilty. He writes about seven of them and I want to look at one of them today. Uh, Harrison just read it for us. Let me just read the beginning of it. Psalm 32, 1 through 5. Blessed, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah, which just means like chill, rest, listen. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgive the iniquity of my sin. Selah. I think David does a really good job of capturing what guilt feels like when it's in us, when we have done wrong. He said, he's talking about his bones are wasting away, and there's this heaviness and this groaning he feels. So I actually looked that up and said, okay, what is, what is the value of guilt? What does guilt do to the body, good or, for better or worse? Um, and I, I found this, uh, number one, guilty feelings make you feel literally heavier and more belabored. So when David talks about this groaning and this like heaviness and this weight of, of, of his sin, his guilt, there, there's something to that. That is how, what guilty feels like. It feels heavy. Uh, two, guilty feelings make it difficult to think straight. We are not, when we are feeling guilty, we are not creative. We are not productive. Like it does not go well for us because this is hanging on us. Number three, unresolved guilt is like having a snooze alarm in your head that won't shut off. You keep smacking that thing, hoping it'll go away, but it always just keeps popping up there again and again because that's part of what, how, what guilt does. And number four, guilt protects our relationships. There's actually value there. Guilt can protect relationships because when you have done wrong to someone else and you feel guilty about it, it, it kind of drives you towards going and making things right. And David gives us an idea of what that guilt feels like. But how do we deal with it when it shows up? What, what can, we be, what can we be done? How can we be forgiven? That actually shows up in the beginning of the verse. Let me read it to you again. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and, whose spirit, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. 
there's a word there, blessed. Topher talked about it a few weeks ago when we started this series. It shows up a lot in the Psalms. And we think of it like happy, but it's more than happy. It's, it's this state of peace. Um, a, a, a Hebrew word, shalom, is often used, translated as blessed. Uh, this peace, this um, relationships are right. Uh, things are right in the world. There, we might, You might say, like, we're in perfect harmony, that kind of thing. This is blessed. And he says that you are blessed when... He basically says your sins, your transgressions, and your iniquity, these three things, when these things are dealt with. Let me explain um, a little bit of what they are. A trans, uh, he says when your transgression is forgiven, your sin is covered, and God does not count your iniquity against you. Those three things. Number, number one, transgression is a Hebrew word, pasha, uh, and it means basically think of transgression as rebellion against God. So you have rebelled against God. You're like, I don't like you, God. I'm not into you, whatever. I'm doing this thing to kind of stick it to you. You're, you're, you in some way, you have rebellion against God. Um, sin is shatza, and it means uh, it's an error that brings about a fault or a penalty. So think of it as just like breaking the law, right? Like if you speed, if you go over the speed limit, you get penalty for that. You get pulled over, whatever. That is a sin. You have, there's an established law here. There are rules to live by, and you've broken them. So there's transgression against God. There's just sin where you sort of break the established laws. And then uh, this last word, uh, iniquity, is not a word we ever use, uh, but it's a Hebrew word, avon, which is related to another Hebrew word, which is uh, ava, which means bent or crooked. And so the idea of avon, iniquity, is uh, sin that just we start to become bent or crooked or twisted. Like, it's not just a, a one-time thing. It is a, it is a um, degrading of us over time. Think of it like um, some sins are a thing that happens and then some, like one time, and then some things are like uh, systemic or they start getting ingrained in us. There's something deeper going on than I just broke a law one time. Iniquity is like that. It's, it's almost like, um, the, like an underlying underlying sickness. So he, he mentions and really breaks down um, what we have done that would make us feel guilty and, and puts it into those three, three things, uh, sin, transgression, and iniquity. And he says the person who's been blessed, who is actually at peace, at harmony, is someone who has had those things dealt with and like handled that you are good and right because your iniquity has been dealt with and covered, your sin's been covered, um, all that has been handled. Um, and actually that word covered shows up there twice. Uh, we need our sin covered when we mess up. Think of that, I think that in some ways harkens back to the Garden of Eden. If you know the story, we've read it here before, at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis uh, 3, Adam and Eve sin. They break the law that God had given to them. They transgress against him, right? They, they've, they've messed up. And um, their response, they are naked. Their response is to sow fig leaves and cover themselves up. That's their response to breaking God's law. Now, we read that, and we think of it in a very physical way. We're like, <laughs> like, they're naked. And then they just suddenly, they, we think it's so weird. We're like, they just figured it out. Like, oh, Suddenly they realize that they're naked and they decided to cover up. And we think of it very physical, but it's a, it's, it's a psychological thing as well. When we mess up, we, we need, we want to hide. And they, they do try to hide from God. We want to hide because we know this needs to be covered. I am very, I am very exposed here. Think about it this way. 
What if I took every thought you had in your head and played them on the screen, every thought you had for the last week, played them on the screen like a movie for everyone in this room to watch? Would that go well for you? Right, me neither, right? Uh, would, wouldn't you sort of feel like, could they darken the lights a little bit in here? <laughs> like, I need to hide because I have been exposed here. My sin is visible to everyone, and I need in some way to be covered. Um, this is what, what happens when we sin, we are exposed, and we need, we need to be covered in some way. Um, this is why if you have like toddlers or preschoolers or whatever, and they go quiet for a minute and they're, in, they're playing and they go quiet, and then you find them in the closet. If you find your preschooler or toddler hanging out in the closet, go check to see what they broke. Because <laughs> they broke something, and this is what happens when we sin. When we break something, we go, I'm exposed here. I need to hide I need to be covered. And David said, you're blessed, you're at peace when your sin has been covered. When God sees you, sees what you did, sees how you broke things, and he covers you, when he's got your back, when he has forgiven you, when he does that, we are blessed. We are actually uh, made, made free. And all of us have uh, guilt, so we all need this. If we grew up in a traditional society, if you grew up in a very traditional society, you, you know you have guilt. It's always there. It's from your parents mostly, right? They lay this on you. Why aren't you, why aren't you married yet? Why didn't you get that kind of job? Why aren't you, you know, all these things get sort of piled on. You're not like your brother. You're not like, there's all this stuff. We get that in our culture a little bit, but more traditional societies, it's even worse. Um, I always remember from music history class in college, learning about the great composers. And like, it, it, it almost seemed like behind every great composer in history, like, like Mozart's a classic example, behind great composers like Mozart is a mom and dad who were upset that their kid didn't become a lawyer. Like, that's just, like, and that, there's more than one story like that in history. It's just like, you know, Mozart, one of the greatest composers ever, and his parents are like rolling their eyes and wondering when their kid's going to become something, you know? Like, it, there's a lot of, of that kind of thing. That is the pressure of traditional society, and that comes with a lot of guilt. And so we in the West, and in America in particular, we go, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to live by their rules, their standards, their cultures. I am going to make my own way. I'm going to be my own person. I'm going to be this rugged individual, and I can decide for me, and it's going to be fine, and I'm going to have my own standard and my own way of living. But here's the problem with that. You still blow it. Whatever you pick, whatever society, whatever standard you want to live by, whatever rules, whatever code, your bro code or your whatever code that you've got, whatever you've got, you still blow it. It sounds cool to be like, I'm just going to decide for me and I'm not going to do what they say. That's cool at 18. It's cool at 20. It might be cool at 25, but sometime by the time you hit 30, you should start realizing, I, I can't do this either. I can make it up on my, as I go and it still doesn't work. You still know that, 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 you, that you blow it, that you, that you fall short. The truth is you, you're not the person you claim to be, and, 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 you, and you won't be. You know there's something going on in there. You know you've messed up. And it means you have some sense of guilt and shame in you, and that needs to be covered. And this is true whether you are religious or not. 
Because I could go religious and talk about ultimate ramifications for guilt and sin, and we could talk about heaven and hell and these kind of things about the afterlife. And in other cultures, other religions, you could do a similar kind of conversation about, you know, earning merit and, and these sort of things, and what does it mean to be a person of peace and all this kind of stuff. We could have those conversations. But even if you're not religious, if you walk in here, you don't even know why you're in a church right now, you thought this was a movie, or whatever you're in here for, um, even if you're like, I'm not religious at all, you still know you still know. We don't, we don't have to call it sin. Let's not call it that. You just know you messed up. At some point you have, and, you, and you've done some things wrong. You've, you've blown it. And it doesn't, you, you can't pretend that's not true. Right? You can't, you can't just pre- pretend um, that, that because you know there's something broken in you. And you can't take the bugs that are inside you and just call them a feature and hope that that's going to work. Psalm 32.5, again, I acknowledge my sin to you, David says, and I did not cover my iniquity. I did not cover this up myself. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Getting right before God and getting right before other people requires the same thing. It requires us to confess Confession, to be honest, to come clean. This confession, this is actually the start of a relationship with Jesus. You go, I want to follow Jesus. You believe in him. You confess, I have sinned. You repent. You go, I'm going to walk a different direction from this. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to go a different direction. And you are baptized. This is how we, we initiate our journey into, into following Jesus. We, we, go, we go through those steps. But it's, it, very early on in that process, you, you confess. You say, I need to get this right. Um, I confess my sins, that I am, I'm a sinner. I am, I'm broken. I've messed up. Um, and that we, we start that way, but there's also an ongoing confession of sin that helps us uh, as, we, as we move forward through life to be cleansed, to be sanctified. First John 1, 9, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We talked about it about a month before that as well. This verse keeps showing up. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means if we say to God, I have blown it, I've messed up, this is what I've done, I am guilty, and we're honest about it and real about it, he does his part. He's faithful and just, and he forgives us, and he cleanses us. He's going to cover us in a way that we cannot cover ourselves. This is huge. And this is why I think the God component of this matters. Because if you try to make yourself clean outside of God, uh, I think it's a problem. We, we, we know we're guilty. We know we need forgiveness. And you take God out of the equation, we are left with, I need to be forgiven, so let me go to the person I've wronged and ask them to forgive me. Which is great if that works. If you go to them and say, I wronged you, and they say, I forgive you, cool, we're good, we're good. But what if they're no longer here? What if they don't forgive you? Then where do you go with your guilt? And this is where society says, well, you're just supposed to forgive yourself. And I'm telling you, that does not work. That is not a thing. You will not cover you. Because to do that, you kind of have to pretend You have to pretend that I didn't just do what I just did. You have to pretend not to know what you know. And you can do that for a little while, but not forever, because you know what you did. Like, you can't pretend. So you you can't cover you by pretending not to be guilty. Now, 
I, I know the church gets criticized, not this church in particular, although I'm sure it applies, but all churches get criticized for um, laying guilt on people, right? Um, oh, man, you know, I don't know a church they're going to make me feel guilty. As if that's the emotion that we absolutely need to avoid at all costs. And I would just say, I don't think the church makes people feel guilty. Maybe it does in some cases, but I think the truth is we are guilty. And maybe sometimes someone at the church will point that out to remind us. But our own conscience that God gave us is what makes us feel guilty. Um, Because we all know we've messed up, whether we're religious or not. So how do we get right? How do we get this right? Because I think there is hope in this. Number one, uh, or, uh, I think we get right by confession, and we have to start calling our sin what it is um, and acknowledge when we've blown it. So what does a true confession look like? Number one is this, distinguish between true guilt and false, false guilt. It's easy with confession or with guilt to just go lean heavy into the emotion of it, um, but the problem with that is emotions play tricks on us, right? Uh, sometimes we, um, we, we, we can't distinguish well between the true and the false. Not everything we feel is reality. I should probably say that again in 2023. Not everything we feel is reality. And sometimes we feel guilty when we're not. And you know what that looks like, people who are quick to take the blame, and we might call it like low self-esteem or something like that. They're like, oh, oh, but it's all my fault, and oh, man, I suck, and I always blow it, and whatever, like, uh-huh, I'm just a screw-up. You know, there's people that are like that, and so they take on guilt that maybe they don't deserve. And then sometimes people go the other way, and they don't take on any guilt. They, I, I don't need to be forgiven. I'm not guilty. I haven't done anything wrong. Um, and so what we're feeling in the moment um, doesn't exactly work. We need a different standard on guilt so we can discern between true and false guilt. This is where Paul in Corinthians, I think this is very useful what he says. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you. He's writing to the church. That I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against I am myself. But, this is important, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Paul anticipates Tupac here and says, only God can judge me thousands of years ago, which is brilliant. Um, but he, what is he saying? He's saying, you can judge me and call me guilty, fine. Um, but I, but even, I, even I can't do that, really. Like, I'm not gonna, it, it doesn't matter if you think I'm guilty, and it doesn't matter if I think I'm guilty. He says, I'm not aware of anything, but that doesn't mean I'm acquitted. What he says is God is the judge. And so there's a standard here Paul's trying to live by. It's not, what do you think of me? Do you think I'm guilty? And it's not, what do I think of me? Do I think I'm guilty? He's saying, what does God actually think? That's the, that's the true, um, true judge here because relying on our feelings is not the best way. So what we need to do is read God's word and understand what he's teaching. Read what Jesus taught and learn to live by it. Now, I realize, in a sense, I'm saying, Read Jesus' teaching so you can feel guilty. That is not a good pitch to modern Americans about why to read the Bible, okay? I understand that. But here's the deal. You're going to feel guilty anyway. You might as well get clear about what God actually says to us and who we actually are and how we've actually been made and what the, what the values and boundaries of the world really are. 
So we read, yeah, I mean, read to fall in love with Jesus. I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, to, to know the Lord, to be in relationship. But it's also useful to help us sort through the true and false feelings of guilt that we might have is to know what does God actually say um, about our lives. So that's distinct, number one, distinguish between true guilt and false guilt. Number two, distinguish between actual grief for our sin and mere self-pity. Sometimes we confess our sin uh, not because we're really owning it, but because we just want the pain to stop. Fine, I suck. I get it. I blew it. All right. Is that what you want to hear? Like that kind of confession, you know? And that, and that could be like, it, it can go into self-pity, right? It can be like, oh, man, I always blow it. Yeah, I know. And we say things like, I'm my own worst critic. You don't need to criticize me. I get it. And it, we have this pity thing that, that happens. Um, and, and we're not necessarily confessing from a healthy state of grief. We are deflecting from this state of, of, of pity. Um, grief comes when we understand the depth of, of, of our sin. Psalm, uh, David, David uh, he, he, in the story of David when he was king, he cheated and um, he took this woman named Bathsheba and he slept with her. And Bathsheba was married to another guy. And so in order to cover that up, because that's a sin and it needs to be covered, in order to cover that up, David had um, Bathsheba's husband killed. So he's done adultery followed by murder. Uh, not a great thing. And he thought he was getting away with it. He was like, I'm the king. Nobody can judge me. You know, who do you think you are? And whatever. He was kind of playing that game and pretending not to know what he had done. And finally, a guy named Nathan gets through to him and like challenged him and says to him directly from God, this is what you've done. And we, when you read the story of that, you don't always know exactly the emotional background of backdrop, but fortunately for us, David wrote a song about it, about how he's feeling. It's just one of these confession psalms. It's Psalm 51. Listen to what he says about it. Psalm 51. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in, in your judgment. Uh, David says... Uh, I have messed up, I have blown this, um, and I have sinned not just against Bathsheba or whatever, but he, he says, I've, I've sinned against, against you. Um, and that, and that's, an interesting, that's an interesting way of thinking about it because he says, against you, I've sinned in, against you only. And I'm like, well, you kind of sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah. You should probably own that as well. And I'm not sure that, he, I don't think he's not owning that by saying against you, I've sinned. But he's understanding the, how deep this thing really goes. If, if, we don't have time right now, but if you read the whole psalm, you'll see to the, to the depths of grief that David actually has an understanding about what he's done, which brings me to the last point. To really confess, we need to shift your perspective. We tend to think of sin, and when we've blown it, we tend to think of it from our own perspective. I messed up. Uh, I feel bad about that. I feel guilty. Sorry I did that. And that doesn't quite get it, does it? Like, have you ever heard a celebrity or maybe a athlete or somebody, and they did something bad, and they get on, and, and you know what their confession sounds like when it's to the media or whatever. They get up because they have a PR person, and they'll say something like, I'm sorry if anyone was offended by what I did. Try that in marriage or dating. 
I'm sorry if you maybe were offended by what I did. That doesn't sound quite right, does it? It's not exactly a confession, is it? You, you get the perception, you get the feeling that that person's not really shifted their perspective yet. They have not actually walked in the other person's shoes. They just feel bad that there's a brokenness there and they're trying to fix it with a sorry. And it's like, no, there's, there's something else going on here. Clearly, if you say, I'm sorry, if, if anyone was offended by what I did, clearly you have not done the work. You have not done the emotional work to walk in someone else's shoes. How different does, I'm sorry if maybe you were offended, how different does it sound than if you were to say, I'm sorry I hurt you. I can see from your perspective how what I did was not good and that I can see how that would cause you some pain. That is not what I was intending, and I'm, and I'm deeply sorry that that, that that happened. Like, that's better, right? It's not just like, well, maybe. It, that is a confession that you have shifted your perspective. You, you are uh, looking at it from the other's perspective. That's tough to do interpersonally. It's tough to do with God. That's why David, go back to the Psalm 32. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He's saying, um, I, am, I am seeing God's perspective on this. Uh, I'm not trying to cover it up. He's not saying, I covered my tail, and it was fine. He's saying, ooh, I laid this out and open and honest. And God, uh, God covered the depths of it. David has done the emotional work. And I think we, we should as well. When we think about our sin, our iniquity, our transgression, don't just think about, oh, I've offended this person. But when you offend a person or when you hurt someone, you are hurting God's child. So you now have a problem with God as well. And you are breaking his commandments, his laws, his boundaries for how people should interact. And we sin against the Lord, not just against a person. So think about what that's like. God loves you. And you're his child. And he cares for you. And, and there are times when we sin and transgress and are in, in our iniquity. There are times when we just go, God, I know you love me, but I just don't really care about you. And I don't care what you think. Think about those of you who are parents. Think about how that would land from, from your kid. It's, it's painful, right? And maybe we can get a little bit of that perspective and go like, man, God is just so in love with us as his children and when we sin, we sin against him too. And so we need to confess to him and acknowledge when we've blown it. So confession, make this a, a practice of your life to, to pray maybe in the morning, first day, think about your day, the previous day, and go, okay, where, where have I blown it? God, I did this. Maybe, maybe say it out loud, maybe write it down, um, just whatever to, to make it real. Um, and, and know that when we confess, truly confess out of a true state of grief for what we've done, um, God will forgive us, and he will cover us in a way that only he can, and then we're able to move forward. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for covering us when we could not. God, we can pretend we're not guilty, we can pretend we haven't blown it, but we know, and you know, and there are 
uh, our lives are laid open before you. And so, uh, God, thank you for seeing us, for seeing all those thoughts and uh, the different things that, that we've done that we're not proud of, and yet you see all that and you love us and you're willing to forgive us and cover that. God, I pray if there's anyone here who has not given their lives to you to get on this journey to believe, confess, repent, and be baptized, I pray they take that step today. They sign up on their card to get baptized and we'll have those conversations. Um, But for those of us who have taken those initial steps, I pray that we make it our practice to confess to you like David pours out to you in Psalm 32 and 51. We make it our practice to uh, regularly say, hey, I've, I've sinned against not just this other person but against you and ask for you to forgive and cleanse us. And God, we claim the promise and we thank you that you are the one who can cover us and, and make us whole and right again. Um, thank you, Lord, for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.